welcome to the most excellent 80s movies podcast. It's the podcast where a filmmaker and a comedian watch their way through the 80s movies we think we love or might have missed with these, our modern grown-up eyes to see how they've held up uh, and I guess how we're holding up through uh, through life these days. Uh, today we are watching Beverly Hills Cop, a movie selection from 1984. Eddie Murphy is a Detroit cop <laughs> on vacation in Beverly Hills. I just got off the phone with an Inspector Todd in Detroit. He says if you're out here investigating the Tandino murder, you needn't bother coming back. I don't want to take this anymore. For a man who claims to be on vacation, you look a lot like you're on a stakeout. Stakeout? No, no. I'm picnicking. This is like a picnic area. I have to ask you some questions about Michael Tandina. I've never been to a cell that had a phone in it. Can I stay for a while because I ordered some pizza? We have six witnesses that say you broke in and started tearing up the place, then jumped out the window. May I help you? Yeah. I'm looking for Victor Meadlin. I have nothing to say to you. Got your badges and your guns and you're on the job, right? Make sure we get the right drinks because my drink club sold out. Throw up. You know, this is the cleanest and nicest police car I've ever been in in my life. This thing's nice in my apartment. I just bet you are the pride of your department in Detroit. It seems painfully obvious you haven't the slightest idea who you're dealing with. I don't know what y'all think I am, Kimmy, some kind of fool. Hurry up, quicker! Crawl back to your little stone in Detroit before you get Eddie Murphy, Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> I think it's kind of crazy how they end it with his little like giggle laugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's become like, iconic already. Yeah. And even the trailer is such an odd mix of like, is this a comedy or is this an action movie? And it's like mm-hmm. literally both. Inventing the action comedy in a lot of ways that we know. Yeah. And thank God they did. <laughs> <laughs> um, is this, a, what is this, was this a favorite of yours? Um, I, I can't, you know, it's like, it's tough with the rated R films i think this one was rated r um oh yeah oh it's yeah yeah it's when we were young our our access to rated r films was limited and so if we had to kind of pick a couple of strategic moments where mom was out and we could sneak something in it was usually something along the lines of the terminator or robocop or something like that you know yeah Um, so like the the a lot of the um 
things like this, it, 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 we would sometimes see on TV, but it would be the watered down version or we, and even then we might get in trouble if we were watching it, you know? So, um, I had definitely seen it a couple of times for sure. Um, but no, it wasn't on the regular like playlist. Yeah. If you, if you can only have one rated R movie, you, s- you save that for RoboCop. You need, yeah. you need mm-hmm. everything that's R rated about RoboCop. <laughs> then you really get the most bang for your R rated buck. Yes. Um, yeah, I feel like I saw all of the Beverly Hills Cop movies in the same way that I saw all of the le- Lethal Weapon. Is that right? It's Lethal Weapon? Yeah, Lethal Weapon. Yeah, and the plural is Lethal so- Weapons. Okay, why does it sound so weird when I say it? Lethal Weapon um, was like on TV, on like HBO or whatever, um, and like on VHS because my dad loves, you know, action comedies. Mm-hmm. So... To me, when I watched this one, I was like, oh, okay. I definitely have some memories of like Beverly Hills Cop 2 and Beverly Hills Cop 3 that I was like transposing onto this one. So uh, waiting for all these funny uh, bits to happen that are obviously in the later movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. like when you watch it again, you're like, oh, no, this is just... Beverly Hills Cop 1. It's just this story start to finish. Um, and See, it is- it, it's funny. It's like for me, like Beverly Hills Cop is kind of like um, like Jaws. Like, you know, like I've got the first one memorized and I have no memory of anything after that in terms of the the other movies other than the, oh. <laughs> the George Lucas cameo in, in number three. Yeah. Um. So it's the story of a Detroit cop who becomes a Beverly Hills cop. I mean, that's the simplest thing. The beginning of this movie is um, a undercover cigarette truck heist car chase where uh, Axel Foley, who is Eddie Murphy's shenanigans of trying to be a rogue renegade cop who doesn't play by the rules ends up getting a truck full of cigarettes hijacked and then they drive it down every residential street of Detroit just (laughs) lovingly smashing like literally every car lovingly just he's the driver is like gleefully like uh, as the truck is going, it looks like a football player like shouldering into the cars like he's intentionally hitting them. So Axel gets in so much trouble and we get the impression that like Axel Foley is just always in so much trouble. Mm-hmm. We get a little bit of baby Paul Riser, Not enough, I would say. Yeah, it's funny. At this point in his life, he is the token asshole. You know, Paul like Reiser? he's the guy. Yeah, he he's the guy like an aliens who appears to kind of be like the a bit of an asshole, you know, yeah. and it's not until later in, in TV he or, or like in other projects that he kind of works his way out into that, you know, into our hearts, mm-hmm. which is funny because looking back now, I'm like, oh, Paul Reiser, like he's so cute and like he seems so like uh, like he's kind of on Axel's side, even though. Like, it's obvious that no one can ever 
be on yeah, Axel's he, side. Cause he's he's there bull. just to tell the audience that he's always in trouble. Right. And he... <laughs> We get it, man. Like in that first car chase, it's so action because there's explosions. There's a semi barreling down the street. There's our hero dangling from the chain of curtains that seems to hang curtain of chains that hang from the back of every truck. (laughs) So it's action, but it's funny because it's also silly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost Blues Brothers-y. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that when I saw like all the the police cars, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, this is really kind of the beginning, or I feel like it's the beginning. It may not literally be the beginning. It's so hard to know, like, what were the trends in you know when you were a small child. It's it's easier to kind of look back on it and kind of write the narrative of like what invented the genre. But I feel like you know, like this was the beginning of kind of like the. The Simpsons and Bruckheimer, like, action comedy adventure, you know, like, mm-hmm. these movies, like, their next movie was, like, Top Gun, like, these mm-hmm. big, over-the-top spectacles that eventually, like, Michael Bay would be known for. Yeah. And they're great. Like, comedy and action are two great things yeah. that go great together. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it, it was something that was not universally held until you had these breakout movies, you know, like you had this and like Ghostbusters and, and, and other, you know, that kind of like combined like the, the ensemble action movie with comedy Mm -hmm. so hard, you know, like I remember, you know, it's like mixed genre films, which are my favorites um, have gotten such a hard time because you have, these studio executives who just who believe that you need to stick in a lane, you need to pick one lane and do it. And and some of my favorite films are ones that straddle two genres. Yeah, at least two. It's like, a you know, you say stay in one lane and I say that the movies should be like the bad guy in Roadhouse driving his car on every lane because he can with just joy in his heart and a song on his lips that's what movies should be Uh, (laughs) and this movie is super fun like eddie murphy definitely pulls off being both an action hero and a lovably sarcastic uh poop in the punch bowl (laughs) what he so yeah i i mean i've definitely seen this movie a couple of times but it's been so long that you get to see it kind of with fresh eyes. And, you know, the thing that really impressed me was just how, how much he just crushes like the dramatic aspects, like the genuine aspects of, of his mm-hmm. performance, you know, like obviously the comedy is great, but like he is there and present and he is a genuine character in the moment, which something that a lot of comedians uh, Chevy Chase, this is for you. Um, you mm-hmm. don't get as much. Like you don't. You they're they're doing bits rather than being a character in the moment who is, you know, um, genuinely, you know, feeling things and reacting. Like he's so good at at like the dramatic aspect of the movie. Yeah, 
agree. Um, and much of the comedy was actually improvised. It was, you know, Eddie Murphy and and the other two cop actors, Judge Reinhold and Third Guy, whose name you probably know. <laughs> uh, I wrote it down. I shall consult my notes. Okay. Taggart is Taggart. the character's name. Yes, Taggart. So like, John Ashton. There we John go. John Ashton. Yeah. The three of them were, were improvising a lot. So there were a lot of ruined takes, uh, because they would say something so funny and and like ruin the take, um, which I thought I could see it. I could buy it because you're right. He is absolutely in the moment. And the thing about uh, comedians to toot the comedian horn is that you have to you have to know so much about so many things that you you have all these layers already in order to be funny in a way that appeals to so many people. You have to be able to show the truth of mm-hmm. uh, what it is that you're you know mocking. So. Um, I, I really enjoy it. And I think that's why Eddie Murphy has like truly stood the test of time. Like mm-hmm. he's still opening movies and, and, uh, being very successful. Um, so then we get the plot, 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 plot. He has a friend. He, apparently there were like a, a, a Harry, Ron and Hermione ragtag group growing <laughs> up. That was Axel Foley, their friend, Mikey, and a, girl named jen and now that they're all grown up mikey has been in jail and is out of jail he has been working in a job that fancy now fancy jen has gotten him in beverly hills but he stole something from that job and is coming to hopefully lay low with axel for a while but oopsie doopsie immediately gets killed yeah his, his friend Mikey is there to kind of show us a mirror of what Axel used to be like when he was young. Like, you know, trouble a troublemaker, you know, that he, he's basically um, a troublemaker turned cop. Right. Yeah. He's a mischievous guy. He sure he sure is a mischievous guy. He plays by his own set of rules. That's for sure. Uh, he wants to investigate and find out what happened to his friend, but because he's always in so much trouble, he's not allowed. So he goes on vacation to Beverly Hills and it's like, of course he's going to investigate. At no point does anyone think he's not going to investigate. Um, we get a lot of fun, funny, like as much as we saw Detroit in the opening, we see Beverly Hills and it's like, what is this? Like these buildings are all white marble and there's people shopping and uh, <laughs> look at how weird everything is in Beverly Hills. There's flowers everywhere. Uh, he goes to stay in a really nice hotel. We There are some N words in this movie. So that was an acceptable uh, 80s comedy thing. Mm-hmm. Um there's a moment too where he's like laughing at people on the street who are wearing like Michael Jackson esque leather jumpsuits. Mm-hmm. And was that is that like a reference to him wearing a leather jumpsuit in his like very famous comedy specials? Uh no, I think it was more of a Michael Jackson thriller kind of thing. Okay. I, I didn't think, yeah. love I the idea of him like wrong. laughing at people <laughs> as they walk down the street. Um, but he goes to see, you know, he's immediately on the case. He goes to see his friend Jen at the gallery and we get a little bit of Bronson Pinchot mm-hmm. as Sergei. 
Yes. For me, there, kind there's of a number of breakout roles. Yeah, yeah, there's a number of breakout roles um, and parts uh, in this movie. Yeah, and that's one of them. I think my very favorite part of the whole entire movie is when Axel is like, get the fuck out. And Bronson Pinter was like, no, I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> then they just go back, get the fuck out. No, I cannot. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, favorite. Um, and so he learns that the big bad is this guy, Victor Maitland. Mm-hmm. The uh, villain just... from Octopussy, by the way. Oh, the I didn't Bond realize. Villain. Mm-hmm. He seems like a very James Bond villain. When we meet him, yes. he's in like a business kimono. Yeah. And and and, and I feel like it, it, in these movies, it's important to still have stakes. And um, like this villain is zero. Per- like they found the, the most zero percent funny person yeah. to play the villain, which you need. You need him to be like the serious bad guy, the serious heavy in the scene, you know? Yeah. Who just has no sense of humor. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that even though it is these moments of of charming playfulness that we get from Eddie Murphy, it's just too easy for him to get in wherever he wants by just <laughs> talking his way in. Like, oh, mm-hmm. you got to take these flowers up. You, you're not allowed. No, but I'm going to. Yeah. And that's the that's how he gets through security Mm -hmm. yeah it's like okay here's the moment where eddie eddie murphy does a bit you know like it to me if like the exaggerated version of this is the the entire movie of fletch or or one of the fletch movies with with jeffrey chase um where it's like okay now this is where he does like a big a big bit and a scene and we can you know he kind of gets a stage and can do um you know like uh and and i feel like um it's like the like the the biggest one where they're in like um the the warehouse like i felt like it never got it never went off the rails like it, he mm-hmm. was still he still felt like the character you know it's so easy to just especially with anything that's associated with like the saturday night live actors it's so easy to kind of see them slip into a character or, or to feel like that when the movie is kind of based around their persona you know mm-hmm. and i feel like we never veered into that territory uh, with Eddie Murphy. I agree. It's like it never became a sketch in the middle of a movie, which um, a lot of national you know, lampoon is like you go from sketch to sketch to sketch. Mm-hmm. I liked it. I like seeing Eddie Murphy like charm his way into situations uh, with the one exception that happens later in the movie where he's doing like a stereotypically like gay character and the joke is that he's like grossing them out in order to get into the um, like private club. But I understand that that is a function of the 1984-ness of this movie and that mm-hmm. would have been like not only acceptable but hilarious you know and so that's mm-hmm. just like a little slice of like oh well here's here's why and how times have changed and here's why and how this movie is like got its feet firmly planted in 1984 and you know can't necessarily be a timeless classic but all the other moments are are yeah. you know fast talking um eddie murphy brilliant mm-hmm. uh and you know, he he's just investigating. He he gets thrown through a window. Uh, 
Victor Maitland has a thug button, and so it was really easy for Axel Foley to get into the room. But once he hits the thug button, about 30 guys <laughs> come pouring in, and they just toss Axel out a window, which I thought was like an unnecessary escalation. Right, exactly. There's there's a lot of unnecessary escalations, but I think it was all done purposefully, you know, for the concept of the film. Of course, because this brings Axel to the attention of the Beverly Hills cops. Mm-hmm. We meet uh, Taggart and Rosewood. Um, I like the two of them a lot. I like their um, banter, and I they I read that the audition for the two of them or the chemistry test for the two of them was that whole like them sitting in the car oh did you know that over the course of an adult's lifetime you'll have five pounds of red meat in your gut and they just like improvised that so i like that everybody's improvising everybody's just like playing their characters and living in the moment and i just think that like judge reinhold is so cute and like baby-faced and lovable (laughs) in this movie um his like naivete really plays Mm -hmm. and you really get the sense that like you know this detroit cop had to learn on the streets from his hard scrabble life how to talk his way into or out of any situation and little pie-faced judge reinhold has never had a unsunny day in his life and they're (laughs) both just lawful good cops who want to do the right thing Mm mm-hmm and they don't ha- they never like hate Axel and they're never just like unreasonably against him. They're willing to listen because they have open hearts and minds. Yeah. Uh, so he does mess with them, though. He sends them room service. He puts bananas in their tailpipe so they can't follow him. He takes them to strip clubs and like sort of proves his trustworthiness to them by foiling a stick up at a strip club. Um, and that's how he sort of gets Taggart and Rosewood on his side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's this movie. Um is so much about class and race. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it it starts to reveal itself basically as a bit more of uh, Axel's story and a little more of an ensemble. It basically turns into a Western. Right. Uh, and that got me thinking, you know, like the, like the OK Corral at the end where we're giving as much emphasis to like the other guys as the other sheriffs, you know, like Rio Bravo or something like that, as we do like John, the John Wayne character. Um, But it got me kind of thinking that like all, all police movies are kind of Westerns. Like I think as Americans, we want to see the, it can't just be the, the law enforcer, enforcing the law it's always got to be the rebel you know like we love the rebel you know the the one who does right and when the law gets in the way and this is superheroes as well then we have to take justice into our own hands because we know better than a system you know and we want to see them get justice regardless of the rules Mm mm-hmm because and the and they did a good job too of showing us how the system is uh a bit corrupt but corrupted by its own bureaucracy like mm-hmm. the 
Victor Maitland can't be a drug smuggling murder weirdo because he owns an art gallery. Yes. Yeah. In, in Beverly Hills, the, the, you know, money and it's like they, they designed the police headquarters in Beverly Hills in the movie. That's a set to basically look like this is private security for rich people. Right. Yeah, and they don't even they won't even consider investigating even if you have like evidence and clues and and things like this and they don't trust the outside guy and it's all very viable and all very believable that you know Axel's learned from his lifetime that you have to go outside the lines and these two guys have learned from their lifetime <laughs> that staying inside is safe and cozy. Yeah. Um his friend his friend who works at the gallery, like we get the sense that she is a bit in danger because she works with Victor Maitland and she is also like, you know, in her cushy swanky, like they make fun of the art world a lot and it's ridiculousness, but she's like making a, a real life for herself out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is willing to put herself on the line to support Axel. She's willing to take risks to find out what happened to her friend, uh, she's a real Hermione Granger in their in their <laughs> little trio, and I appreciate that. Um, plot, plot, plot. Of course, Victor is smuggling drugs. Yeah, of course he is. Yeah, the, ultimately the plot is not super interesting, you know, or important to the movie. You know, like the plot is oh, the bad guy who we suspected the beginning. Is probably a drug dealer. Oh yeah, he's a drug dealer. Definitely a drug <laughs> dealer. And so dealer. it's just really just the steps that the character takes that it, it are enjoyable. It's the execution, you know. It's the moment to moment scenes of how Axel Foley is going to find the information that is surprising to no one. Right. How is he going to get away from uh from Taggart and Judge Reinhold until he bonds with them then how is he going to get away with the from the other two how is he going to upset Victor at the country club how is he going to upset Victor at the art gallery how is he going to upset Victor in whatever dangerous situations and then we get this like huge explosive (laughs) confrontation at the end where they're finally like Judge Reinhold you got to get Axel Foley out of here drive him to the city limits and just kick him out the door. Yeah, again, this is so much like a Western, you know? Not in my town. Exactly. You know, it's like, escort him to the edge of our jurisdiction. Beverly Hills? All right, well. Okay. (laughs) Where even is the edge of Beverly Hills? Uh Uh-huh. I'm sure they know, yeah. Um. I know it's like oh sorry you have to go to Hollywood I don't know Um, so he of course of course convinces Judge Reinhold to like just make one Uh, quick stop off right they they leave him at Bel Air instead yeah Yeah. (laughs) Um, he's all yours of course he finds the drugs of course his friend gets kidnapped Mm -hmm. and of course Judge Reinhold like has to follow him 
in as the, the car, puppy dog, yeah. as, but he just sits there for the longest time, like watching chaos happen. Mm-hmm. Guffawing, like, yeah. chaos is happening. Oh no! Um, and then the shootout at Victor Maitland's house. Is- oh yeah, which is like pure Simpsons and Bruckheimer, just like mayhem. Like it is the archetype of like the shootout at the at the big Uzi shootout at the villa. There's you know. so many Uzis, <laughs> and there's so much villa. What is a collection of Uzis? A flock of Uzis. <laughs> a bouquet, a bouquet a, a, of Uzis. Spray of Uzis, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, there's so much shooting at banisters, and so much marble cupids being exploded. Uh, <laughs> it really is fun to watch. Uh, and then on the inside, you know, Axel Foley is just making his way through to confront. Victor Maitland face to face rescue his friend but we do get a really nice moment though so of course Taggart and Rosewood uh, are there defending Axel and doing what's right and mm-hmm. capturing yeah, they bad guys really you know you've got movies where the main character changes you know and goes through a transformation this is not one of those kind of movies this is <laughs> this is this is like um you know, like uh, Clint Eastwood in in uh, the Man with No Name kind of movies, um, or like Paddington, where they show up and then change everyone around them. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it, it I I was kind of upset that the final moment at the end, you know, was not his transformation, but the the two Beverly Hill Cop kind of like coming around to him but it makes sense because it's this really is about him having a perspective and changing the people around him and them coming around to the way he sees things right you know and so they go from stuffy to being cool and so it's not only just taggart and and judge reinhold but also the police chief you yes. know the you know well i guess the lieutenant the lieutenant yeah who, who convinces is right the police behind chef. Axel yeah. and shoots Victor Maitland? Yeah, and then comes up with the big lie to make it all a palatable, believable. Uh, we're all gonna come out of this looking like uh, what's it, what's a good expression? We're all gonna come out of this looking good or whatever. Especially you, Chief. Uh, which is a funny <laughs> moment because. They prefaced it by having two opportunities previous to this for Taggart and Rosewood to lie and for the lieutenant to lie and get credit for something they don't deserve. And both times they really Ned Stark it up and tell the Mm -hmm. truth instead. Yeah, yeah. They go by the book. But this time they're all going to go with the lie that saves the day instead of the truth that would muck it all up. Yeah, it's always, you know, I've, I feel like the, one of the engines that drives this movie is, or just like really any of these kinds of movies, is doing what is, the main character knows what is right, you know, rather than the, like, the law can sometimes hurt people or not help out like the law is there to protect but it's not always right ultimately the main character in his heart knows knows what is right and that's to help people 
and he know he it's their moral compass that guides them. Right. It was kind of like um, a John Wick, if you will. Like, oh, it's just this one little guy that nobody cared about. Why are you making such a fuss? And it's like, well, because he was my mm-hmm. friend. Yeah. And because now we've uncovered something more. Yeah. Um, sometimes, sometimes the rules are not what is right. Yeah. Uh, and this movie really sells that. And then there, we get a lot of fun moments at the end where mm. Axel is leaving them. And uh, we actually get a freeze frame on the idea of him <laughs> taking them to a strip club again. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like oh, we don't really have an ending. What can we come up with? Like, I feel like, you know, I feel like we lose just a little with the ending. That it's it, it's kind of a, a long resolution, a soft resolution. There's not like a really hard ending out it's just kind of like oh we'll have more good times you trust me right yeah it's it's that's what i feel like that's one of the problems of being so strongly improved that there wasn't necessarily a logical ending you know to that other than just kind of like well we'll have more goofy fun shall we well, what I did like, though, is that they didn't shoehorn in a, a romance between Axel and his uh, mm-hmm. and his Hermione. Like they they didn't even act like they were going to make that mm-hmm. some crazy romance that they just stuffed down the throat of this movie. They didn't do that. And right. I think. The and and I wonder. For it. Yeah. And, and I wonder if that was a case of like if if it had been like, uh, you know, so they tried to make this movie with St- Stallone. And so it's like, yeah, and and I think he just was not comfortable with doing comedy. Well, that's the thing, and it's so funny that you mentioned Fletch because uh, there is a new Fletch with John Hamm as Fletch, which I which I really enjoyed. Yeah, I enjoyed it too, but there's something about a a a comedic a a lovable asshole Mm -hmm. has to first be lovable. Yeah. You have to you have to want to be on their side even when you are appalled by their behavior. <laughs> yeah, which is one of my favorite characters, the lovable asshole, and they've got to be charismatic but yet flawed. And so when they do make overtly bad decisions, you know that that it could go either way. That there's redemption in there. That there's possibility in there. You know mm-hmm. that um, that. That they have that they are on a journey to learn a lesson, right? Yeah, and I think that as you mentioned, you don't always get that from a Chevy Chase, yeah. and I think that you couldn't you couldn't get that from someone who didn't have a clown in their mm-hmm. heart. Yeah, and I, I do not think Sylvester Stallone has a clown in his heart. No, no, <laughs> I think he has yeah. a boxer in his heart. Yeah, I, I, I um. And, and to not, and I would say that Axel Foley isn't a lovable asshole. He is a a mis- He's a lovable trickster. Yeah, which, which is a little different, you know, because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't really have a journey, you know, uh, in this in terms of a transformation, other than, you know, it's like kind of like Indiana Jones, like they they have a they they learn something locally but not globally, you know. Right. But that's okay because that's not the point of the character. And we just want to see this character again. We just want to see more mm-hmm. Axel Foley adventures. We just want to see more Indiana Jones. We just want to see more Fletch. Like you plug in the mystery, 
I don't care what it is. I'm going to watch this show every time it comes on. Yes. Um. So how do you rate this? I found it really hard, like on a scale of yes. one banana yeah. in a tail pipe <laughs> to 10 bananas uh-huh. in a tail pipe. Um, I found it tough. What did you think? Oh, yeah. I found it r- really tough, too, because a lot of it works. You know, not all of it works, you know, um, and, and I feel like, um, yeah, it's tough. I, I kept, I think I'm going to end on a 7.5. Oh my God, you're kidding. <laughs> what is <laughs> that? my rating too. It's yeah, it's just, it's a tough, I, I was going to rate it a little higher. Um, there's so many classic moments. Um, I felt like the ending I wish was a little more Axel centric mm-hmm. and that the, that the very ending was just a little stronger. Yeah. Um, but all in all, I had a, a real fun time rewatching it. Um, yeah. And so I think at an end, I think 7.5 is where, where I, my heart lies. That's where I put it too, because it, it is fun. It was fun. But I don't I think it would have pushed up to an eight and a half if it didn't have, uh, you know, three or four moments where I was just like, oh, this is a low hanging fruit punch down joke, Mm. you know. But why would you avoid that in 1984? Like you got all these low hanging punch down jokes just ripe for the picking. Like, of course, they're going to pick them. Mm -hmm. But that's what I think knocks it back a couple of pegs and i do feel like compared to some other movies we've seen it is much less problematic oh sure than than even movies that we you know yeah it's in terms of like the punching down or things that is like well that's that was kind of an 80s point of view i feel like it's pretty pretty light in terms of maybe what you might expect going into it right um so I so that's why I land it at 7.5. Yeah. Uh I I want to watch 2 and 3 now <laughs> because I know that there's bits in those movies that I I was just conflating and can't separate out so I probably will watch Beverly Hills Cop 2 and 3 uh to follow this up. What what about you? Do you feel like you want more? I I I want to see I I'd like to see 2. Yeah. Um, and then just pretend like three doesn't exist. Like there's no three. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so what is your deep cut recommendation? Because that was also yeah. a little bit hard for me. I feel <laughs> I gotta recommend something that I'm almost certain that I have recommended like Oh, me too. Like years ago. Um, but I'm gonna pick my favorite cop mixed genre action comedy, which is hot fuzz. Hot fuzz! Yes, yes, you definitely have recommended it, but I think it is well, still I'm doubling down. I love it. If you haven't seen it, then I am doubling down. It is the distillation of like the, um, you know, Awful it is good. The, yeah, of like the 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 action comedy just boiled down to the very pure essence that kind of mixture of Michael Bay, Simpson, Bruckheimer. Um, taken with this, the British silliness um, of Edgar Wright, 
uh, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, and just it, it, it's just a wonderful film. Like if you're creating a target of the stuff that I love, like this is like right in the center. Um, I love that. This is a great recommendation. Um, I, I It's so funny because I feel like through the course of talking about it, we came up with a bunch of things that could be mm-hmm. good recommendations. Yeah, yeah. Like, like you could you could totally recommend like real uh, real bravo or real grande like one of the like the john wayne westerns you know um that this kind of like also is in the lineage of you know these kind of movies it it's also i like they reference butch cassidy and the sundance kid i think that Mm -hmm. would be a, a decent uh pick uh, but I'm going to go with something that I've recommended before because I, I felt it was the most appropriate. And that is Brooklyn Nine-Nine, mm, which mm-hmm. is a cop comedy with a lovable asshole as the hero who is still going to do what's right, even though he doesn't always play by the rules. And uh, I I love that show so much. And now that it's done, you can watch it. You can binge the whole thing in its entirety. It is streaming kind of everywhere. Um, and it's great. You definitely won't regret spending mm-hmm. time uh, with a show that it was definitely, you can see the fingerprints of Beverly Hills Cop uh, all over it. Yeah. Uh, and one thing I want to say before we exit out is um, I th- this movie in some ways feel, you know, it's, you always worry about that some of the aspects are not going to be as timely anymore. Like, I feel like this is surprisingly more timely now because um, it the movie deals about race. It deals with class and it deals about the police force and how the police force functions. And, I, you know, and not that I want a remake, but I feel like a remake would all would feel like, Oh my God, there, all this is so um, applicable to what we're dealing with now. And they would barely have to change anything. I feel like there's even room for them to push things harder because of how much things haven't changed. Yeah. You know, so but do you I feel, think maybe I feel fully needs to come back. Well, I think I think this kind of story, this story, and the you know, I you know, it's like I'm <laughs> I generally don't watch these remakes. So, uh, but I do feel like if they did do it, that there is the stuff that they they cover in this movie is ripe for telling uh, again, or, or you know, or or just. You know, maybe even, you know, it, it wouldn't even have to be Beverly Hills, but these these same themes and topics are still super, super um, uh, applicable to what we're dealing with now. Yeah, agree. And what a, what a well-said thing right at the end. What a go. <laughs> what a go, Nathan. What a pro. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> thanks, uh, thank you so much, everybody, for joining us and, and listening. Um, hey, if you want a little more, if you want to hear a little bit more of uh, Nathan and Chrissy, become a member. There's Also, I send you mail in the mail. I will send you stickers and goodies from the show. Uh, so, you know, you can support us that way or in the free way by liking, thumbs upping. Uh, thank you to everybody uh, at True Story FM as well for us uh, keeping our podcast going and uh, all that cool stuff. 
Um, Nathan, if people want to support your filmmaking endeavors, where and how can they do so? Uh, the best way is through uh, Squishy Studios. Um, so squishystudios.com or uh, if you want to check out the the feature film that I'm uh, working on, it is uh, The Last Movie Ever Made, which you can find on Instagram and Facebook and kind of Twitter. Kind, yeah, why, everything is Twitter <laughs> is kind of Twitter. Yeah. Um, I love it. And I can't wait as like we get closer and closer to that coming out to have more and more bonus content about like sort of behind the scenes stuff because it's a really great movie and, it, and it's going to be really fun when it comes out. Uh, if you That's want to find Chrissy, uh, who is me, you can find me in person <laughs> at the Neighborhood Comedy Theater in downtown Mesa, Arizona. And you can find me on uh, the social medias at Most Excellent Chrissy. Uh, follow the pod at Most Excellent Pod. And, you know, when you're out there in the world, you know, the the life may put a banana in your tailpipe. But please keep the Most Excellent 80s Movies podcast motto in mind. Be excellent to each other and party Party on, on, dudes. dudes.